This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We're always looking for new ideas and topics from our listeners, so please reach out, share your ideas. You can email us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com or connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and you can find links to all that in the show notes. Now, on to this week's episode. Most every facility strategy today from an acute care standpoint is looking to get a little bit smaller and more efficient in the process to lower the capital burden and to start shifting as much of the inpatient and even outpatient volume that could be provided elsewhere at a lower cost. Hello and welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Kelly Richard, and today we'll be discussing the evolution of the health system ambulatory business model. With me on the podcast today are two leaders on SG2's consulting team, Amit Sharma, principal who leads our Chicago-based strategy practice, and Mike Strzelewski, principal who leads our Cleveland-based practice. We don't actually have a Cleveland-based practice, but if we did, Strzelewski would certainly be the leader of it. Thank you both for being here and sharing your expertise and experience. A lot of work that we do in consulting at SG2 is related to assessing and improving upon the system's ambulatory strategy. Health systems are coming out of an extremely disruptive year. We don't need to get too into that. I think we all know. And many are at least starting to shift away from that day-to-day crisis mode and starting to think about growth again. Mike, let's start with you. What are the key differences in the landscape now compared to 2020 and even 2019 and before that? I think the biggest theme is the accelerated shift in sites of care that we're seeing, right? Whether it's the virtual or really the shift in general to outpatient and trying to drive care to the lowest cost option, both in a delivery setting, but then from a payment setting to manage total cost of care. Everything that's happened in the last 12 months has really accelerated that trend. And what do you think the consumer expectation is related to that? Are consumers looking for something different? Are they fine with that? Are they not really aware of it at all? Consumers are increasingly expecting better access, so more convenient locations. Often that is not pointing them towards the hospital campus. So whether it's a retail environment or it's a retail scheduling-like option, they don't want to be sitting in waiting rooms. They want to know when they're going to receive the care, when they're going to meet the provider. That starts to speak to the sort of the broader consumer expectations in healthcare and, and that low acuity space. And Kelly, we've heard the term patient-centric. I think there's a real shift to actually putting your money where your mouth is when it comes to that term now. I think there's a lot less tolerance for people expecting patients to come to the physician's office or to come to the hospital. Patients and consumers want the service to be provided to them in the way that they want, where they want it, close to home, maybe in the home, and in a setting where it's sort of tailored or catered to their specific needs. COVID has exacerbated a lot of things, but that consumer anxiety has sort of given real credence to we need to do things differently that's relevant and appropriate and connected to what those patients and consumers actually want. That's one of the reasons you're seeing fewer patients going to the emergency room. That's a historical behavior and historical trend. And health systems and and hospitals and providers need to think about where those patients should be going and using other assets across the system of care, both physical and virtual, to meet those needs. Absolutely. Aside from the patient aspect of things, and you'd mentioned that volumes in the ED and some of these other more costly environments are, those volumes aren't really necessarily coming back. What are the financial implications to health systems in this new environment? 
to me, the financial implications are there's a lot less margin for error in the decisions that they make around whether it's capital or recruitment or what markets do they double down in or what services do they kind of step away from. As I see sort of the financial implications, doing something in ambulatory is maybe not the right way to approach it versus doing a real targeted service line specific or market specific approach that's sort of differentiated in ambulatory. Doing things in ambulatory are now, I guess, table stakes, but how do you do it? What do you invest in it and how to do it right? Because the level of competition is, is significant. And Mike does a good job of correcting me when I'm usually wrong. So Mike, jump in. I don't know that I have the whole thing mapped out, but as the relevance or the center of gravity shifts away from the acute care facility, which for years has probably been the most efficient way for us to deliver all of the care that we need in the community because all of the providers were in one location, the capital was focused in one location, you could soup to nuts care for most everything that the community or the patient needed. And it felt to be, while complex, an efficient way to deliver care. The complexity happens when you start to disperse that care across the market and you start to create some fragmentation potentially in how certain aspects of care is delivered. And you start to question, okay, well, what does that mean for the efficiency of the acute care facility? Because we still need all of those services at that one location. We can't stop providing imaging. We can't stop providing lab and pharmacy. And we need to run this 24-7. What's the efficiency of the acute care facility? And then is that still going to be a profit center for our organization? Conversely, as we've moved this volume and captured the growth that's happening in the outpatient, are we making the margins in the outpatient space that we need to be making to drive the financial performance to meet both our financial expectations and our capital reinvestment expectations for the system going forward? It's complex. And I think it starts to question what type of delivery model do you need on the outpatient basis to be profitable? That's a great point. We've sort of been discussing this shift from the inpatient to the outpatient setting for years, but let's dig a little bit into the nuance there from a financial perspective. We've seen a lot of health systems employ this broad strategy of just setting up as many low acuity entry points as possible, but that leaves you with this expansive and very expensive ambulatory footprint and not very much margin. What should health systems be thinking about or considering when they're making investments in the ambulatory footprint? As you're setting up the ambulatory network, it's important to maybe understand who the customer is, certainly the patient, and then you've got independent referral sources, physician groups, et cetera. But that's where a lot of the disruption is. That's who you're competing against in many cases, because as they've started to consolidate, they're investing in their own ambulatory services. You have to weigh the ability to capture volume from that independent physician referral source as a customer, or are they a competitor? I think there's a legitimate tension going on there. To sort of piggyback on Mike's comments around setting up a whole bunch of low acuity sites of care, the question I would be asking is to what end? Then we've been talking to folks around the country about what is the goal of ambulatory and what we've been sort of thinking about and sort of maybe challenging ourselves and challenging the market to say is that shouldn't be the primary goal of setting up a ambulatory network to just focus on bringing business to the acute care environment. How does the ambulatory business be self-sufficient and sort of sustain itself, generate its own separate margin? Maybe it has to have its own separate management team and operating team, but just think of that as its own separate P&L. Very hard to do, but maybe in an ideal state, thinking about the financials of the acute care enterprise and the ambulatory enterprise as different. And not just a loss leader with the hopes of driving downstream revenue to the hospital, because that may not be a model for future success. So 
when you say that, it feels a little bit in conflict with some of the things that we've said more recently about thinking of service lines and incentivizing treating patients across the continuum of care, maybe via one service line. How do you reconcile the tension between those two models? The financials still support at some level the downstream ROI calculation. The challenge is, other than in some growth markets, is a, a deterioration in terms of payer mix. So the commercial payer mix is going down. The government payers, that percentage is going to increase. So that's going to have a negative impact on the margin for all that downstream volume. The acuity level of the patient is going up. So the cost with which you deliver that downstream is going up, hurting your margin. When you look at the historical profit center of that service line, maybe being the tertiary quaternary services, will they continue to be as profitable going forward as they have been historically? In many markets, there could be some real threat there, right? So then you look at where else are the profit centers? Where else does the profit need to be earned to support that service line? The transformation needs to be in that ambulatory space to improve the margins that you, and Amit was talking about that, that you're earning in the ambulatory and the outpatient environment to maybe offset some of the deterioration that's happening at the acute care facility. As folks are moving towards taking on more risk and, and thinking about value, if the acute care environment is only thought of as a profit center, that's going to be a very challenging switch to make whenever that switch does happen. And distributing some of the margins and the costs and the revenues more equitably across the system of care is only going to get organizations more prepared for that eventual shift to taking on some or a significant amount of risk. For our provider members, it's about bringing sort of a differentiated or a unique suite of services and capabilities that meet the community where they're at and provide that service in a way that others can't. Mike talked about the disruptors that are chipping away at key individual pieces of that system of care, but no one can compete with the fact that the health system should and could bring a differentiated product or service that kind of spans everything. The disruptors are targeting the high cost premium services that may not necessarily have to be priced at a premium level. They're targeting what they might perceive to be the waste, unnecessary cost in the system, and they're driving that volume to a lower cost alternative. And that's happening at all levels of the delivery system. And that's sort of a fascinating, maybe incredibly disruptive trend that's happened in the last handful of years. It presents a significant threat to the traditional health system delivery model and strategy. This is a question back for you and Amit. Can the health system afford to be a premium priced model at all steps in the delivery system? And is that justified? Can you maintain that as your strategy and be successful when there are disruptors that are providing a low cost alternative? I think a lot of organizations are going to get themselves squeezed out because those low cost providers are actually bringing a very unique, differentiated business model because that's all they do. They do that one thing and they do it very well. And they're not being asked to be everything to everyone. And that's honestly one of the big challenges for every provider out there is you have to do your cardiac surgery, your orthopedic surgery, your imaging, your labs, and people expect you to do it perfectly every time. It's a very difficult bar to sort of deliver on every single time. There are going to be trade-offs. I think what our clients need to sort of, to borrow from our exec summit tagline, look at themselves in the mirror and say, what is it that we can and should be doing ourselves and park our ego at the door and say, who do we need to partner with for stuff that we just don't have the ability to deliver on and just be honest about it. And I think there's something really tangible there. That concept of the jack of all trades, how viable is that? 
when I say something tangible, I mean, you've talked in the past about an anchor service line or two for not only health system, but maybe even for an ambulatory setting or facility. How are health systems actually doing that? One trend that we're seeing across the country in a number of markets, there's a lot of big box ambulatory shops going up. The 5, 10, 15,000 square foot ambulatory facilities are being replaced by 80,000, 100,000, 120,000 square foot large ambulatory footprint, multi-specialty, multiple services. You've got ambulatory surgery, you've got physician offices, you've got diagnostic imaging, and really using that as a way to plant a flag in the ground of a market you're looking to go after. And it's almost like a lead into maybe a hospital that you may eventually put in those markets because you want to sort of establish a presence. What are some of those key service lines? that have a very ambulatory bent already that are large in scale. Think orthopedics, think oncology as, as two good examples where an organization can create a pretty strong center of gravity and level of differentiation with service lines like that as anchor, borrowing from the shopping mall example, anchor tenants in those settings to create a differentiated product versus it may be very hard for a health system to take, not to say smaller, but other service lines like ENT, ophthalmology, urology that are maybe not as large in scale and volume and maybe harder to create an ambulatory presence that's differentiated without sort of an anchor tenant. With facility strategies, even whether it's acute or ambulatory, when an anchor service line or that location takes on the identity of being a destination part of the service line, right? The comprehensive node to the overall hub and spoke model, the volume and activity is going to pick up, right? If the hospital has inpatient beds, it's going to help that community hospital's activity, but it's also going to drive a ton of outpatient volume to that facility and in a differentiated way than what would have been offered otherwise. In that particular case, though, the outpatient is the profit margin. And in a community type model where you've got lower inpatient volume, most health systems would likely agree that the outpatient becomes the profit center for that particular site. Now, I think the challenge is, is the HOPD dynamic within that. What happens when that's the current state and it might be pushed up because of HOPD? What happens when the reimbursement model changes and that volume needs to be competitively priced against a more freestanding structure? Does that current delivery model still make sense and can the health system justify it? So Mike, if we've got a health system that is looking to redevelop a 200-bed hospital that has a lot of outpatient revenue and margin, but that's all HOPD, and we see some of that business shifting out of the hospital, what advice would you have for that organization as they're looking to rebuild or redevelop that facility, sort of given that dynamic that they're never going to see those HOPD margins outside the hospital, but they also can't walk away completely from that because that outpatient business is part of their lifeblood? What recommendations would you have? I think I would start by exploring every alternative that would prevent you from having to maintain a 200-bed hospital in that market. Where could you possibly shift volume? And what are the lowest cost alternatives that you could potentially develop to keep as much of that volume local? Ambulatory surgery centers instead of hospital outpatient department, ORs, and short-stay beds. What could you potentially shift into a facility that's a lower-cost operating and capital infrastructure? The same thing could be said about the medical staff investment. If you have a significant employed medical staff to serve the needs of a 200-bed hospital, what does that overall workforce look like to support a predominantly outpatient scope of service in that market? My guess is you're not going to need to employ as many of the providers that you could currently do today because you're going to shift that volume. Mike, how would that advice change if we're talking about an 800-bed AMC? 
I think everything gets smaller other than in, in some specific growth markets that might justify getting bigger. Most every facility strategy today from an acute care standpoint is looking to get a little bit smaller and more efficient in the process to lower the capital burden and to start shifting as much of the inpatient and even outpatient volume that could be provided elsewhere at a lower cost. From an AMC standpoint, there's the the decanting strategy and there's the alternative care models to care for some of the complex medical patients that might be alternatively done in a lower cost setting elsewhere. The two of you are always having this conversation with health system leaders. And these can be tough conversations given that you're sort of asking them to disrupt themselves in a way that might be uncomfortable. Trevor did a podcast a couple of weeks back with Bill Woodson and Mike Bush talking about sort of that tension between capital spend and operating spend. What if you still need to build out a new inpatient facility? And how do you internally have that conversation? And how do you justify investment in a piece of infrastructure versus maybe an outpatient? I would explore every option in what we control, which tends to be operations, to sort of maximize or squeeze more juice out of the lemon and reduce the requirement of capital infrastructure. Building your plans to focus on that growth, they have to be done with almost laser precision. And you have to pick one or two spots. You can't say we're going to grow across everything. You have to say we're really just going to grow in the neurosciences and cardiology that may be two areas where we still have a decent amount of inpatient growth to expect that is high margin. We shouldn't be building larger inpatient facilities unless there's some wildly optimistic growth that we expect due to either population or other key factors. We should be thinking about preserving capital to spend that capital on physicians, providers, and sort of the ambulatory footprint that hopefully can be more self-sustaining or more self-sufficient. Great. And let's wrap up with sort of a to-do question for health systems. If you're a health system looking at your ambulatory strategy in this new landscape, what's really the first step in reassessing that strategy? What data do you look at? I think the first thing I'd want to understand before I changed my ambulatory approach would be what's the upward growth trajectory that I feel like I can capture, right? So what's the addressable opportunity and how does that inform potentially changing my current approach? And I think that ultimately gets into the ASC question for most organizations. Do we pursue a more dynamic ASC partnership strategy with physicians, sacrifice potentially some of our HOPD revenue to grow the pie? And does that secure our market position? In a lot of markets, the addressable opportunity is great. They're sort of forced to do that. Trying to understand your ambulatory surgery situation with diagnostic imaging. So if we're going to have a self-sustaining ambulatory business, those are two key pieces that you need to have in place to sort of drive the revenues and the margins. And if all of your activity is still hospital-based for both of those and you're compared to the market and, and there's a lot of competitive forces around those two areas, I would look at those two to see, are we well-positioned or not well-positioned for the shift that's happening and, and will, that will continue to happen? And then think about sort of what are the financial implications in terms of risks. If we have all of our business in the hospital, eventually that's going to shift from a less competitive space inside the hospital to a much more competitive and fragmented space, that risk and vulnerability assessment is really important to sort of get a sense of if all that margin goes away, how much does that cripple your health system business? How do we then sort of proactively 
be ready for that, knowing that hospital-based margins and outpatient or ASC margins are different or outpatient imaging margins are different. No matter what, that's going to change. You need to sort of be ready for that because in five years, it's going to look a lot worse. Sort of a delicate dance of timing and self-disruption. Well, thank you both for coming on the show today and for sharing all of these really great insights and perspectives. This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.